This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the show. Today's episode, I sit down with Dana Dunford and we talk all about property management. So I don't think I've done an episode strictly on property management. And you know, what's common in a lot of these podcasts is people get on and pitch their services, but actually Dana is not really doing that today. She does have a service that is geared towards landlords who want to self-manage but aren't ready to hire out third-party management. So she developed a software to bridge that gap. But she just gives a lot of good takeaways of property management in general. And things that I immediately took back in my business and said, huh, you know, I could do that. And and really self-managing your properties, if, if you have just a few, or maybe you have a lot even, it's not that hard. And But you have to do it right. And you have to follow the laws first and foremost, and also have systems in place. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I also wanted to uh, make an announcement that the show is going to be looking a little bit differently. I am removing the golden nugget of the day and actually making that its own solo episode. So I plan to do two episodes per week. And uh, one being an interview style, kind of like this, and another being where I just pack as much value in 10 minutes or 15 minutes as I can, just me talking. So uh, that is what's going on. That's that's the road ahead. Um, so hope you guys enjoy that new format. So with all that being said, here's today's interview with Dana Dunford from Hemlane.com, all about property management. Welcome, Dana, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Well, Dana, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah. Um, great. So Dalen, I was very different than most people where it was accidental um, that I got into it. Um, I've always been fascinated by technology. So I love technology and how it brings um, people together. I was working at that time at Apple. I'm doing new product introductions. And why I say accidentally got involved in real estate was my sister and her husband had basically said, hey, we have real estate investments. It's a 2008 crash. It's a great time to buy a ton of real estate and properties. And so they got me passionate about that. Um, being in technology, I was working basically investment banking hours. So I had nowhere else to spend my money because when you work all the time, you don't have anywhere to spend your money. Um, so I was able to save some money. Um, eventually started um, purchasing my own properties. Uh, and then from there, just got really, I think, more fascinated with the operations of it um, than the actual purchase of the asset. And what I mean by that is the purchase I found to be quite easy. Like you put in an Excel spreadsheet, you look at all these, um, uh, your pro formas, you compare all the properties. And when you do it enough, you know what's a good one to purchase and where you should hold back. Um, but then the difficult part comes like the 10 years later when you're buying hold. And you're dealing with all of these things that, quite frankly, you never expected to deal with from like plumbing requests and um, difficult requests and like emotional things that come with someone living in a home. Um, and so I got actually really excited about the operations side of things. Um, but uh, obviously on the purchase side, um, uh, I'm always looking looking at new markets and where to invest. 
Yeah. I'm fascinated how people are just different and, and good at different things. So like for me, I love finding the deal, just hustling out there. And then, but when it comes to property management, like I just want to turn a blind eye. I don't want to think about it. I just get annoyed about it. So you were, you were drawn to the property management, the operation side. Is that what you were, is that what I'm hearing from you? You know, it's interesting because, um, Dalen, we were, you and I were just talking about this before we jumped on the podcast that, um, you self-manage your properties Mm -hmm. and 72% of rental properties are Mm self-managed. So it's not like you're on your own where you're doing something that isn't smart. Um, majority of the market mass market does self-manage their properties. And so what really excited me about it was, um, seeing a couple of like, kind of key pain points in it where it was like, Hey, there's an opportunity here and there's no one size fits all. Um, but there's also alternative options. And what I mean by that, um, if I back up a little bit, um, the first thing I would say is that, uh, with, uh, self-management, a lot of people do it because they want control. They want the control of their property. And then they say, Oh, well, you know, traditional property management is too expensive. It's eight to 10% of monthly rent. However, if you look at your time, your time's super valuable. So a lot of times they don't calculate that in. Um, and then the third thing was we noticed that property management was the second lowest ranked industry on, you know, Angie's list, which is now called Angie, was the second lowest ranked. So it had the worst reviews. Hmm of all the companies in the space. So it was like, Hey, these are good, hardworking people, both property managers, as well as owners. How do we, uh, how, how do we think about innovating and bringing an alternative solution? That's kind of something between full service and do it yourself management and empowering real estate investors like you to be able to self-manage themselves, but using a platform to do it and getting the services and the leasing agent or the property manager involved when they need them. Yes. And believe me, we will uncover that solution that melds those two together between like full service and self-managed. But I also wanted to ask you before we get onto that is where do investors get it wrong when it comes to property management? Say you're just getting your first one or two, where's the most, what, what's the biggest pain point for investors? What do they get wrong? The first is education. They're naive and they don't, they don't even understand tenant landlord law. And they do something that is illegal, whether it's a fair housing violation or um, not screening a tenant and having a tenant move in that turns out to be not qualified for their property. And then they're having a difficult time evicting them. Um, so I, I think the, the first one is education. Um, the second I would say is professionalism. So what I mean by professionalism is like, a lot of real estate investors are very naive when they go into it and they meet with their tenant and they're like, great, here's my cell phone. Here's my email. Here's my home address. And they don't treat it like a business. Like you don't go into work at a, a company and are like, you know, here's my home address. Like come visit me, that type of thing. Um, you're very professional about everything. There's a contract in place. Um, the contract is well-written. Like the employer has checked that. Um, you need to do the same thing as a landlord and treat it with a level of professionalism of, Hey, this is a business. We have a legally binding contract. We refer back to the terms of it. The terms are fair for the tenants. They're fair for us. We have a really good relationship, but it's a business relationship, not a personal relationship. The second that it becomes personal, it becomes very difficult to delineate 
between what is where to say no and where to say yes. And so that way, by treating it always like a business, you are a professional. And then if you have the education on how to do that, you should have really smooth property management. And with the exception of like one or two uh, like lemons or something that just like got by you that um, you didn't foresee to happen. Otherwise, your property management should be super smooth. Yeah, it's definitely hard to separate business from personal. And I don't know why it's that way with residential real estate sometimes. And uh, you know, I've fallen into the trap of giving the tenant my personal phone number, giving them my personal email. And um, we're going to talk about in this episode, how to, how to get away with that and, and what you found out in crafting this solution that you you've created this software, but can you explain also how setting expectations is just so important when managing a property, like setting those expectations up front uh, rather than down the road? How important is that? Yeah. I, I mean, it's crucial because even if you're in the right, you don't want drama where a tenant feels like you screwed them over. And I'll give you two examples, like in the leasing process, leasing is obviously the finding and placing of the tenant. Two examples of that. The first is the application process. There are tenants who go and they submit an application, they pay a background and credit check, and then they never hear from the owner and the owner's like, oh, decline. And they're like, wait a second, what was your process? Why did you decline me? Like, why did I have to pay some of these background and credit checks, which I don't agree with, are like $50 an applicant. And it's like, wait, they, they just ran off with the tenant's money. That's not fair to the tenant, right? Um, and, and so having a really clear process. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you come into showing and I'm showing the property. It's like, okay, great. You um, are an applicant. Here are my qualifications. Objectively, you need to hit this minimum um, income requirement, this minimum credit requirement. If you have an eviction, I don't take you. I have these exceptions for pets. If you do have a pet, I charge pet rent and deposit. And you basically go through and you say, okay, great. Fill out an application. I will be back in touch with you in 24 hours if after you submit it regarding the background and credit check. And then my next step and my next step. And you know, if you have two applicants who apply at the same time, one's more qualified, you're only going to run the background and credit check on that one before you go back to the other. So really having a process and communicating with the tenants, just as a heads up, someone else came in right before you, I'm not going to run your background and credit check because I want to see if they're qualified first. And if they are, I'm not going to take you. Once you have a process like that, no tenant is going to come to you and say, oh, I was mistreated or like, I can't believe you're, you charged me for a background and credit check just to decline, deny me as an applicant. It makes you very professional. Um, so that's point number one. Um, the second thing I would say with that process of leasing and tenant placement is the lease contract itself. I've been a tenant before and I can tell you, I never read the lease agreement. I would like scroll down to the bottom. And now this is like, you know, you and I are people who have like gone to college and like, you know, gone through this process of like, Hey, we should be reading these contracts. But as a tenant, you kind of just have confidence in the landlord and you just scroll to the bottom and sign it. And when something goes wrong, like say the tenant doesn't pay on time and you charge them a late fee, they're going to be like, well, why'd you charge me an late fee? Can you cancel that? Can you make a one-time exception? And so it's really important that you go through that lease agreement. It's super comprehensive. Everything from like, are, is the tenant responsible for landscaping or are you responsible for landscaping? Who's responsible for cleaning the windows? You know, anything like that, you have all of that detailed in the lease. And then you sit down with the tenant and you say, do you understand this? There's a late fee. So if you don't pay by the fourth of the month, you're going to get a late fee on the fifth. Do you understand that? I don't waive it. So like, don't come to me and ask for an exception because that's doesn't get waived. This is our contract and we're sticking with it. And I think if you do that and like actually go term by term with the tenant and then have them sign it, 
it sets yourself up where the tenants, if something goes wrong, where they're like, wait, who's supposed to do the snow plow removal? Is that my responsibility? Should I contact the landlord? They revert back to that document because they remember that they've had this conversation with you. And so I think setting yourself up for success with that will really like if you push everything up in the leasing process and really have a really good cadence, it's going to really set you up for success once the tenant physically moves into the property. It absolutely will. It absolutely will. Yeah. And, and, and so thanks for answering that on setting expectations. That's something that I haven't done well in the past. And it, and then it's like, oh, um, it, this wasn't mentioned in the lease, but this is the way I run. So like everything has to be in writing and agreed to by the tenant before they move in. And yeah. that's, it sounds, sounds obvious, but it just, it goes un, untouched most of the time for, for small time investors and even large investors. Um, so yeah, I think- you get busy, right? You yeah, get busy. you do. Just like, okay, sign this agreement. We need it signed within the next five hours. And you like don't have that checklist of process of have we done this? Have we done this? Yeah. Right. I remember on my first, when I was leasing out my first property, I was actually way more um, structured in how I did it. And then by my fifth or sixth, like I'm like, oh, just, you know, pick the best one. And and, and so that's like, that's the, the wrong way to go about it. Like if if I'm not going to do it, up to proper expectations, I need to have somebody else or a software do that. And so I think now would be a good time to mention like, why did you start Hemlane, the property management software? What was the main thrust behind that? And then we can dive into how it solves a lot of problems in the industry. Yeah. Um, well, being here in Silicon Valley and like being in technology, I, I after Apple, I was working at Nest, the home technology company. Um, and then Nest actually got acquired by Google for 3.2 billion. So I was like, back at a big, uh, a big startup, one of the big four, but I saw how much technology in the home helps and assists with things and, and actually adds an element of, of love and like being able to connect with other people. Um, and, and what I mean by that with like Nest, for example, having the technology feel like it has your back with everything from like, you know, your thermostat and saving energy and feeling like a good person in the world to, you know, security and being like, oh my gosh, I just had a package left in my front desk. I'm, or at my front door, I'm traveling. I'll ping my neighbor and be like, Hey, can you pick it up for me? Um, so it doesn't get stolen or whatever. Um, and really having technology foster and facilitate with communication and um, also empowering people to be able to do things themselves. Like if you think of before Nest, home security, you literally had like ADP who like is sitting on call in some place and they're watching the cameras 24 seven having to call. Now it's like, I just can alert someone's in your backyard. I'm like, I don't know that person. (laughs) So I really saw how technology helps facilitate and empower people within their home. And we really wanted something similar. My co-founder, Frank and I, we got fascinated by like, how can we help provide, have technology provide and help with services for tenants for their home, as well as the owner who's the real estate investor for the property? Like, how do we make it a better situation? And I related a lot to Uber, like before Uber, I remember always taking a taxi and I'd always get in the taxi 
and being like, they're totally screwing me over. They didn't start, they started the meter too early or they charged me too much, or they would say, I only take cash. And I'm like, there's a credit card machine here. Why would you only take cash? You know, I don't have cash, all this kind of stuff. Or are they taking the long route to get me home? Like, and, and just charging me more for it. And I remember with Uber, it like was that sense of trust of like, okay, I get in there. I know how much I'm paying in advance. I know they're getting me from point A to point B the quickest way possible. I have the power to review them. I'm empowered. Right. And that was an industry that like really felt kind of, kind of like property management where tenants think their owners are slumlords. And owners are like, oh, my tenants are calling me at inconvenient times. Like, there's not this like love for one another of like, you know, this is a quality, high quality relationship. And so I was fascinated with how technology would transform this industry of real estate and the 44 million rental households out there of how do you make it where people love the home that they live in? Even as a renter, there's no stigma around that. And landlords are empowered to feel like, I have control. I'm providing a great solution to my tenants. They love me because at the end of the day, they're your customer. Like you need your tenants to be happy because then they it's repeat business. They stay around, they renew their lease. It's like, how do we give the industry a better name? Um, otherwise, everyone just thinks of their landlord as a slumlord, which no one wants, right? Um, so yeah. Yeah, there's definitely that uh, stigma and um, it's, you can help that by having like what we talked about proper expectations and communication, but there's still, there's still a gap to be filled. And I love that uh, you, you crafted a solution for that. And so let's dive into some specifics. Like how, how does Hemlane specifically address the, the communication barrier there? Like, is there still direct text message or, or audio communication there? Or have, have you found a way around that or what's, what's new and innovative there? Yeah, well, everyone has their preferred um, mode of communication. So you as the owner might say, I only want emails. I hate text message. Mm -hmm. And the tenant might say, I only want text message. Like, I don't want email. Um, We still put it into the system and document it so that it's like verified um, for legal records. But you can choose, you're empowered to choose how you want to communicate. Right. And then the other person commutes the other communicates the other way and it all gets logged in the platform. Um, so like that's one thing um, that we do on the communication side. The other is with repair coordination. Um, it's really hard as a landlord if like say your tenant says, Can you install a garbage disposal? And you as a landlord are like, no, that's not part of the plan. I don't really want to install one. Then you're the person who has to say no. Um, on the communication side, we have a repair solutionist team. They basically communicate with the tenants about the repairs. And we have the tenants to rank them. And and usually the tenant, like our goal is to let the tenant know why having a garbage disposal is not to their advantage. And like, you know, why, why we should, why we're saying no to it. For example, then your rent would probably have to go up the following month to cover it. And like, you don't want that to happen. Right. All these types of things to just provide a, a level of professionalism. And so our team has a track record in doing so, and like providing a very systematized way to do things, to keep owners happy and tenants happy. Exactly. Exactly. And, and sometimes tenants just want a reason They uh, they, they want to be heard. And, um, it it definitely helps if you can, even if you have to politely say no, that, that you give a reason. So that's excellent. I'd love to dive more into the, that repair, that middle person. So is that a middle man or middle woman, as far as, um, in, in fielding that communication, what does that look like exactly? 
Yeah. So um, this is an option to have it. Like not everyone who uses Hemlane uses it, although it's the most beloved. Um, so you basically have the option to have 24 seven repair coordination. So your tenants can put a submit a request online or they can call in either one doesn't matter. And we'll be able to help them with whatever the problem is they have. So it starts with troubleshooting. It's like, okay, you know, your garbage disposal is not working. Did you press the reset button? You don't know where the reset button is. No problem. We're going to walk you through exactly how to do that. Um, so it's going through that understanding, like, is there a humming noise? What is happening? So we know what's wrong. Then going through what are the best next steps? The best next steps may be like, hey, we're going to have to get someone out there to replace the garbage disposal. And um, we would check the owner's threshold, make sure the owner, if it's over their threshold, call the owner for approval, just to make sure that they there aren't any surprises. Um, but also letting the tenant know, hey, just as a heads up, if it's because you put a beer bottle cap like down the garbage disposal, or if it's anything tenant damaged, just so you know, you are going to be charged back for this. Like I, we just wanted to make sure you're aware of that. So there aren't any surprises because your lease agreement will say you're responsible for your own damages. Um, and so that type of stuff, they'll, they'll do all that communication as the owner you're empowered because you have access to all of those. We record all of our calls for quality assurance and we have it all logged into the system. And so you could go in and see what our communications are with the tenant. You could jump in and make a comment just to us or a comment to us and the tenants of how you want things handled. Um, but basically, we're that back end office for you that's 24 seven. So on Sunday night, when you don't want to be checking your phone or email and you're at dinner, you don't have to because you know we're there for you. That's a huge asset. Um, can you explain how technology really unlocks investors to do rental properties from thousands of miles away? and how specifically your technology allows them to do that. Yeah, so um, in our case, it's a plug and play. Like it starts with software. There are some people who just use our software and they self-manage, they live down the street. But then you can get um, a leasing agent. So someone who's local to help find and place tenants. You can get that 24 seven repair coordination and you can use one platform for all your properties. So um, Daylin, if you have a property in Missouri and then you have another one in California and another one in Washington, they are all on one platform. You get to pick and choose who you want want to work with locally. Um, and you have one place to look at all your numbers, look at all your property management without having to go to 10 different, you know, pl uh, places for that information. Yeah, or I go so, to 10 different managers. <laughs> exactly. And, and so you mentioned a leasing agent. Um, for me, I, I've been spending a lot of time this week leasing out a new property and I've made a couple trips over there just you know, for 30 minutes a piece to allow tenants to walk through it. And, and I like that process, but eventually I want to outsource that. So you're saying that if um, a customer chooses that level of service from Hemlane, that they can have a, a local leasing agent do that hard, uh, heavy lifting for them? Yes, that's correct. So you can choose, um, select a leasing agent in the platform to do it um, for you. Okay. Awesome. And so, uh, great. Any more points on, you know, how your software helps investors before we kind of move on to the next topic here? No, I think we've covered it so far. Awesome. Very good. Um, and so in your, what does your portfolio look like today? As far as you, you, you mentioned, you started buying in, you know, 08, have you, have you acquired a portfolio as of now? And what does that kind of look like for you? Yeah. So my husband and I have, um, real estate it's in, it's out of state, um, as, as you can imagine in Florida and we use Hemling to manage, manage properties. We're still pretty small investors, so we're not big by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on Hemling itself, we manage, there's 14,000 rentals. So that is sort of like, when I think of my portfolio, it's like, 
all of that, right? Yeah. Uh, the 14,000 managing um, plus my own personal. I think between between the two, I spend more time on the Hemlane side um, than the personal side. Right, right. And so what made you choose Florida? Um, this may be interesting to people who want to manage out of state. What made you choose that state? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting because once you, once you are okay going out of state, you can literally go anywhere. Right. So when I first started looking at markets and, and don't get me wrong, Florida's not the only market, um, that like, for example, my older sister and her husband were in Denver. So I looked at that market as well. Um, but you know, I, I did a lot of research. I was, we were looking, actually, we almost put a couple of offers in, in Boise, Idaho. And this was like four to five years ago. And we're like, oh my gosh, we should have done that. Like fastest growing rent city um, slash uh, investments. We're like, we should have done that four to five years ago. But I looked at Boise, like looked at Arizona, um, Phoenix, looked at a lot in Texas, looked a lot in Texas, looked at Atlanta, Georgia. And in all these cases, I would find people I knew who, who lived there who were kind of like my target from a renter perspective. And I would interview them and I'd, I'd, on Zoom like this, I would get a map. I would be like, what areas do you like? What's up and coming? Tell me more, tell me more about this. I would really get to know like everything about the city itself and, and the suburbs of the city and come up with, hey, do I think this is a good place to invest? And what ended up doing it in Ocala, Florida, because we go out there a couple of times a year was a couple of things. One, we actually knew the market because my twin sister and her husband have a home down there in Florida that's kind of close to where the rental property is. So we had been there and I'd already had some sort of emotional attachment in the sense I was like, wow, why don't more people live here? It's like super affordable and um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to live. And so why don't more people live here? And then I came to find out when I looked at the numbers, it's like, oh, population growth is really high. Institutional investors aren't going there because it's just an hour outside of Tampa, where it was a little bit too far where an institutional investor wouldn't go. But it was the horse capital of the world and also had all these operations. Amazon had just built facilities there. UPS is there. There's a, I'm totally drawing a blank on it, but some like, Entire store that has operations there. So there was just a ton of businesses that almost made it a bit more recession proof in that sense. They don't have the federal government there, but they had that. They have also schools. So I kind of went through the list and said, hey, this is a really good place to invest. And then I took that and compared it to Houston and Austin and Clean, Texas and Arizona, Phoenix. And I started just putting the numbers on proformas. And I was like, okay, the numbers really make sense here. And the trends are in my, our favor. And so that was kind of the impetus of it. Um, but from that perspective, I think, you know, for anyone out there, it's like, you want to do your research and you want to feel like, you'll know when, if you're buying your first property, you'll know this is the right move because you've done so much research in different markets or been looking at properties every day online that you just know when it's the right one and like when, when to move on it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, our listeners take away from this that we're not trying to tell you one way over the other. Just like you said at the beginning, 72% of landlords self-manage. It's not that you're doing something wrong, but there's always room to improve. And so I think you are just mentioning that technology is a big portion of how you've been able to improve your portfolio and your clients and, and how you choose markets and so forth. So that's all amazing, Dana. Any last remarks before we head into the last section of our show here where I ask the final three questions? No, I don't think so. Excellent. All right. This portion of our show is called the triple threat. 
And um, the first question of the three is, and you can't mention Hemline, but what is the app resource or tool that has been the biggest game changer for your rental business? See rental business, but just business in general. The biggest one I love, 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 love is Boomerang. Okay. Um, it's a Gmail integration. And basically people always get inundated with emails, like whether it's a real estate agent or, you know, something about a loan or like mortgage that you need to sign a loan officer. And basically you like, I might send you an email and say like, Dalen, thanks so much for saying you'll have me on my, on your podcast. Um, does, you know, December 17th at noon work for you. And then when I press send, I always do boomerang, which basically says, if Dalen doesn't respond within four business days, or I can say whatever, bring it back to the top of my inbox. And it makes sure that I never lose anything because then I can just really quickly see up and boomerang back up. I can even put private notes in there that you can't see if like follow up with him to like make sure we have a time on the calendar. And it really makes sure that I don't miss anything, like nothing goes lost from that perspective. And and so I really like it. I think it's a fantastic, um, fantastic uh, tool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out because sometimes I'll send an important email and I'll, I need a response, but then they don't respond. And so yeah, and you don't want to get a to-do list and like do it separately on a to-do list. So yeah. yeah. Number two, what has been your biggest learning lesson in the last 12 months? Biggest learning lesson. Um, oh, I had this one. This one was a really interesting one I got the other day about artificial deadlines. I'm a very aggressive person and, and people have told me that, that it, I'm like someone who's always trying to overachieve um, and everything. And, and so how I've always run everything in my life is having artificial deadlines where it's like, okay, Daylen, we need to buy a rental property together and we need to have done it as of yesterday. Right. And so I always push things. And especially on the product side, I would do the same thing of like, we need to get this feature out we need, we, here's our deadline. We're going to go for it. And we have to meet this deadline. And what I've learned is artificial deadlines actually, um, kills innovation a lot of times. And it's something where it's like, well, why, why do we have this deadline? Is it just so something can come out so I can learn something or like, why do we actually have this? And so really taking a step back and looking at priorities and not saying everything's a priority and has to have been done yesterday, but really saying like, what's important to me, what's important to, my work or my personal life or whatever, when, it, what is realistic to get done? What's going to make me happy, others happy, and also provide innovation. Um, so I think the biggest one I've learned is like no artificial deadlines. There you go. That's awesome. Question number three, our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial lifestyle or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me basically means that um, you're happy every day, honestly. Um, and maybe that's not the answer you're looking for, but um, freedom brings happiness. And so if, if you know that you're happy every day, it is that you're free, right? Because you have the power and choice to make decisions and that's why you're happy. Um, and I think it's the same thing in real estate that you don't want to get bogged down, which happens too often. Um with real estate and you want to have that freedom to say, I'm happy. I, if I want to do nothing today and that's what makes me happy, I can. If I want to work 50 hours um, because that makes me happy, then I can. But that's that's freedom to me is like having that decision and always knowing whatever is going to make you happy that day is what you're doing. 
No, that's not a bad answer at all. And I haven't actually heard it that way. So thanks for mentioning that. Um, Dana, where can listeners get a hold of you if they want to know more? Yeah. So um, I'm really good at email. I'm terrible with phone calls. Um, so uh, you can reach me at Hemlane. Um, it's Dana, D-A-N-A at Hemlane, H-E-M-L-A-N-E.com. So you can reach me there. And that's probably the best way if you want to email me property management questions, anything like that, uh, feel free to do so. I'm curious, do you do you love property management or do you just love like helping investors through technology? You know, it's really interesting. People say, um, I actually had a McKinsey consultant tell me, you love what you're good at. But the people, when you say like, oh, why are you so passionate about it or love it? What they find more often than not is what people love is what they're really good at. And so for me, I think it kind of, it relates to technology because I love doing product initiatives. I love driving uh, product and automation um, and facilitating using technology to facilitate um, better communications. But I would say that I think part of the reason I love property management is because I know so much about it. Someone will come to me with like some random case of something that happened like during COVID. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I've seen very similar examples. And like, this is how someone solved it and it blew up in their face. And here's how another person did. And it was perfect and amazing and a great solution for the tenant and for them. Um, So I think you know, just based on my experience, that's why I'm passionate about property management. Um, but of course, technology will always be in my heart as well. All right, Dana, thank you for being on the show and adding great value to our listeners and myself included. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review and tune in next week for the next episode.